Thank you for joining us on the Hope Church LV podcast. We're excited that you came across this Easter sermon. If you're joining us for the first time, I want to be the first to say welcome to Hope Church. Do us a favor and text NEW TO HOPE to 94090. After you hit send, you'll get an immediate response from our team with a link to a short form for you to fill out so we can get to know you better. If you haven't done so already, make sure you subscribe, rate, and review our podcast to help spread hope to the world. Once again, thank you for joining us today. Enjoy the sermon. We all have defining moments. I would say a defining moment is a personal experience that is so powerful we refer to it as being life-changing. How many of you have defining moments in your life? Let me see your hand. That's what I thought. We all have them. We have these defining moments, things that that alter the course of our life. I was thinking this week about some of the defining moments in my life. I'll never forget when I got my first pair of glasses. I was in the fifth grade. Now, you don't know me as somebody who wears glasses, but, but growing up my whole life, I wore glasses. From the fifth grade on, glasses were a part of my life. Those things that I had to wear all the time. And as a kid playing sports, I had to get the strap that would go around the back of my head and hold my glasses on so that they didn't fall off while I was playing sports. When I got married, I had glasses. This was me when I got married right here. You don't know me like this, but this is the way I looked for most of my life. I wore glasses just like this. Glasses were a reality for me. But then uh, I heard about this thing called LASIK surgery. And I scheduled myself to get LASIK surgery around 2005, 2006. And I got LASIK. And man, I'm telling you, it was a modern day miracle. I woke up. I'll never forget the next morning, waking up in bed, turning the television on from across the room. And for the first time in my life, reading the bottom of the ticker on ESPN and seeing all of those scores. And I'm telling you, my life was changed through LASIK surgery. I remember another time in my life when my life was changed. It actually happened here in this, on this campus over in the other building. We were over in the green room one day, the, the room back behind the stage getting ready for a service to begin. And I was kind of complaining because you need to understand something about my family. The, the Pittman side of the family, we were built for comfort and not for speed. So jeans were something that I always hated. I hated blue jeans. Like they were like wearing a, 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 a stri- uh, one of those, um, what do you call it when you put it, a, the, like a straight jacket. There you go. Jeans felt like a straight jacket to me all the time. And I'm sitting over in the green room and I'm complaining about blue jeans. And Pastor Jeff Phillips on our team tells me that there are stretchy jeans for men. I knew my wife had jeans like that. I thought they were just for ladies. And he said they had these for men. I went home that day on Amazon, ordered my first pair. When I put them on, it was like somebody had been lying to me my whole life. It was amazing, the freedom. It's all I wear now, these jeans that stretch like this. Everything ought to feel like sweatpants. I'm telling you, when I put them on, I threw away all my other jeans, and my life was changed. If you don't have some, you need to go home today and order you some stretchy jeans. I'm telling you, you'll have a better attitude. Another one for me happened when I got in a truck with my friend 
and I sat down in his leather seat, and I commented, man, for the first time, I, your leather seats don't make me hot. It's not sweaty in here with the leather seats. And if you're not from Las Vegas, you don't appreciate that in the summer here, the leather seats, man, can make it rough. And he said, oh, no, no, my truck has got seats with air conditioning in the seat. <laughs> Amen. Somebody over here has had this defining moment, air conditioning in the seat. Well, a couple of years ago, I bought a truck. And listen, I made it my life's ambition that one day I was going to have a truck with air conditioning. I went onto the lot and said, listen, I don't care if it's got a windshield or tires, but I need it to have air conditioning in the seats. And I finally got that. And man, I'm telling you, that was a defining moment. My life was changed. Had another one this past year. We started uh, when COVID broke out and we moved our service to Thursday night. I had no idea the weight that I carried on Friday and Saturday of a sermon that I'd prepared and not preached yet. And now we have this service every Thursday night. i got to be honest, Thursday night's my favorite service of the week, man. It's when it's hot. It's when it's fresh. It's when it's fun. I love Thursdays. And, man, I'm like a bird out of a cage on Friday and Saturday having already preached that thing and don't have to worry about it going into Sunday morning. Life-changing experiences, defining moments. Now, obviously, I'm having a little bit of fun with these defining moments in my life. And I'm sure that you have many defining moments in your life and some of them of much more significance than the ones that I've just shared with you. But here's the reality. All of our defining moments combined pale in comparison to the single greatest defining moment in human history. This moment has not just changed my life. The moment that I'm about to describe has changed the life of literally millions and millions of people all over the world. This moment happened over 2,000 years ago, and this weekend, people in countries and on continents and cultures and from different colors all over the world are celebrating the reality of this single defining moment. And the defining moment that I'm talking about, it doesn't just change your life on this earth. It doesn't just bring about physical change. The defining moment that I'm talking about changes your life for all eternity. The single greatest defining moment in human history is that Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. If you have your Bible, I want you to open it to Acts chapter 13. In Acts chapter 13, we find the first recorded sermon preached by the apostle Paul. Now, I'm sure it wasn't the first sermon that he preached. It's just the first one that's recorded in totality in the scripture. He was in a place called Antioch, Pisidia, and for the first time, he was preaching the gospel, the good news, the story of the resurrection to a group of people there. I'm going to pick it up in verse number 26, Acts chapter 13. We'll begin in verse 26. Here's what it says. Paul's preaching, and he says, brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God. 
To us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. (laughs) But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. I want you to skip down to verse 38 and 39 and listen to these practical conclusions. This is where I'm going to spend the rest of our time in these two verses. Listen to what Paul says happened as a result of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. He said, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, and it's a word that means brothers and sisters, all those who are listening. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, this man Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Paul preaches the story. He tells the story of the rejection, of the crucifixion of Jesus, of the burial of Jesus, and then of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And then Paul gives us some practical application in our lives, some practical truth that we can understand because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And I want to give it to you today in two statements, two glorious realities that are true because Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again. Here's the first one. Because of Jesus, we can be forgiven by God. I want you to let that sink in for a minute. Because of Jesus, we can be forgiven By God. I want to put that word forgiven up on the screen. I want you to say it out loud with me. Say that word. Forgiven. I want you to think for a minute about all the wrong stuff in your life. All the times that you've done wrong. Let's start with just today. (laughs) Words, thoughts, attitudes, actions. Let's think back on just this week. All the ways that we've disobeyed God, all the things that we've done wrong, all the things that have made us feel guilty. Think back to your past. Most of us have things in our past that we're thankful most people don't know about. 
We have things that when we lay in the bed at night, sometimes weigh heavy on us because there are things that we've done wrong in our past and we've still not been able to reconcile those things to this day. But here's the good news. Because of Jesus, all of that can be forgiven. I know that many have a hard time believing that. We have a difficult time accepting the concept of forgiveness. Forgiveness is a word that we have a hard time grasping because the way we forgive is very different from God's forgiveness. And a great mistake we often make in in understanding God is we deduce who God is based on who we are. And it's really dangerous because we do this with forgiveness. We know that the Bible says we can be forgiven, but we only know forgiveness in our context. And so often we have a wrong view of forgiveness because our forgiveness is very different than God's forgiveness. Amen? Let me give you some phrases that kind of summarize the way we forgive. Our forgiveness is available, but not yet. I'll forgive you, but, but first, I'm going to wait and see how you behave. I want to see how you respond first. I want to see how you act differently towards me. Yes, I'll forgive you, but I'll forgive you when I watch you for a minute and make sure that you really deserve my forgiveness. Anybody ever been forgiven like that? Or here's another phrase, our forgiveness is filed, not forgotten. I forgive you, but I'm going to just put this right over here. And when I need it, you better believe I am dragging this back out. Anybody ever been forgiven like that? Oh, I forgive you, but I'm going to file it away. And as soon as, because it's going to come up again, as soon as this comes up again, I'm going to get the file and I'm going to drag this out and I'm going to remind you. Here's another way we forgive. Our forgiveness is limited, so don't push it. I forgive you, but there's a line. There's a limitation on my forgiveness of you. There's a limit to how far I'm going to extend grace and forgiveness. And here's the deal. Because our view of forgiveness is so broken, and what we do is we make the mistake of thinking God forgives like we forgive. We have a hard time understanding the forgiveness of God. But you need to understand when Paul said, through him, we proclaim to you forgiveness, the kind of forgiveness that the Bible is talking about is a radically different different kind of forgiveness. The word that's used here in the Greek language for forgiveness is a word that means to remove. It's a word that means to cancel the obligation, the guilt, and the punishment. It's a word that means to let it go. Let me give you a definition of God's forgiveness. Here it is. The removal of the guilt 
and shame of sin, past, present, and what's that word? Wait a minute, Pastor. Are you telling me that through Jesus... I can not only be forgiven for all the stuff in my past, and you're telling me that through Jesus, I can be forgiven for everything in my present, but Pastor, are you telling me that through Jesus, I can also be forgiven for everything that I hadn't even done yet? Listen, have you forgotten that when Jesus died on the cross, all your sin was in the future? Which means if the death, burial, and resurrection wasn't sufficient for future sin, we're all in a bad spot. When Jesus died on the cross and rose again, he bore the penalty for all our sin. Past, all our sin in the present, and all our sin in the future. Jesus took it all on himself and he died so that you and I, before God, can be completely forgiven. We can have the guilt and the shame of our sin wiped clean. By God. You say, Pastor, that sounds too good to be true. How is that possible? Here's how it's possible. Through Jesus. Listen to the way Paul wrote about it in Ephesians chapter 1. He said, in him, talking about Jesus, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sin. Here's what happened. On the cross, Jesus, when he died, took all of your sin and all of my sin. He took all of our sin, past, present, and future. He literally on the cross became sin for us. And Jesus on the cross paid a debt he did not owe. You see, you and I owed a debt we could not pay. So Jesus took all of our sin on himself. Jesus paid a debt he did not owe. And Jesus died for our sin. When he died, he was our substitute. He stood in our place. He took our punishment for all of our sin and he died. And here's why the resurrection is so significant. The resurrection is God declaring, I accept his sacrifice for your sin. God raised him as a testimony that now through Jesus, you and I can be forgiven. And listen, it is a radical forgiveness. Let me show you a couple of verses from the Old Testament that describe how radical this forgiveness is. Look at this one in Psalm 103. It says, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions. That's another word for sin from us. Now, I can tell you didn't grasp the theological significance of that, so I'm going to help you. Jesus, or the the Word of God says that when Jesus died on the cross, here's how far he removed. You'll talk about our sin being gone. Here's how far he removed it. He said, I've removed it as far as the east is from the west. Why is that significant? Well, I'm, I'm holding a globe here in front of you. Now, at the top of this globe, what's that called? The north what? The North Pole. Now, if we were traveling and we started at the North Pole and we began to travel south, As we travel south, eventually we hit the what? What's this down here? The South Pole. Now, from the North Pole to the South Pole, what are we traveling? What distance? What what direction? We're traveling south, right? But when we get to the South Pole, 
and we start heading this way, now which direction are we heading? North, right? And eventually we're going to get to the North Pole and we're going to be going what? South. And then we're going to get to the South and be going what? Why is that important? If God had said, I'm separating your sin from you as far as the North is from the South, what he would be saying is there's a limit because you can measure that distance. We know how far the north is from the south. You can can literally measure that to the exact centimeter. We know the distance from north to south. There's a limit to that distance. But he didn't say, I'm separating yours. I'm removing your sin as far as the north is from the south. He said east and west. Why is that significant? Watch this. Let's travel east. When are we going to travel west? When we stop, turn around, head the other direction, right? You can travel east forever. And you got to understand, when the psalmist wrote this, most people thought the earth was flat. They'd never seen a globe yet. It's almost like somebody invented all this and knew, right? God said, I'm separating, I'm removing your sin as far as the east is from the What does that mean? That's infinity. There is no measure of the distance between east and west. You can go east forever. Here's what God said. God said, I'm not forgiving you where there's a limit. Listen, I'm going to forgive you, but as soon as you hit the south, that's far enough. My forgiveness runs out. No, he said, I'm removing your sin from you, infinity. There is no limit to the amazing forgiveness of God. Then there's another verse of Scripture I want you to see. It's in the book of Micah in the Old Testament. And this uses a different image for forgiveness. It uses the image not of the globe but of the ocean. Listen to what Micah said. Micah chapter 7. Who is a God like you? Here's Micah one day sitting around thinking about the forgiveness of God. And he's just overwhelmed with how God forgives. And he says, who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity. And passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance, he does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast, say the word that I've underlined here. You'll cast what? All our sins into the depths of the what? Aren't you glad he didn't say some? Most, a few. No, he said, all our sins into the depths of the what? Let me ask you a question. You ever lost anything in the ocean? I mean, there's lost, and then there's ocean lost. I want to show you a picture of the ocean. You ever stood on the balcony of a hotel or on the, on the bow of a ship out in the middle of the ocean. I remember one time I, I stood on a ship out in the ocean. It was dark and you couldn't see land. Any, all you could see was this for miles. And, and I remember standing there thinking, man, if you fall in out here, it's over. Like you're gone. There's no coming back from that. My family, when we were, when I was a kid, used to travel every year on vacation. We'd go around to a place called Gulf Shores, Alabama. Gulf Shores, Alabama, where I grew up, we called it the Redneck Riviera. 
It's down there in the Gulf. I'd go with my family every year. And I already told you, my family's built for comfort, not speed. My dad, my whole life, is six foot four, north of 300 pounds, a large man. My dad wasn't much on ocean sport, but here's what my dad would do. Every day, we'd walk out to the beach. My dad would walk straight out about 30, 40 yards till the water was about at his chest, and he'd spend the next six hours just bobbing out there in the ocean. <laughs> Imagine this six foot four, 300 plus pound man just out there, just bobbing in the water. He'd do it for five, six, seven hours. He'd be sunburnt from here up. My brother and I would go out there and we'd play. We'd swim around him as long as we could. We had to come in and get our breath and we'd go back. I remember one time my dad was out there bobbing and a wave hit him right in the face and his glasses came off and my brother and I were out there and we dove down in the water trying to find his glasses. And man, I'm telling you, we couldn't find them. They were just gone in four or five feet of water and his glasses are just gone. You can't find them. But God didn't say I've buried your sins in the shallows of the sea. Here's how radical his forgiveness is. He said, I've buried your sins in the depths of the sea. The depths. How deep is that? Listen, to be honest with you, we don't even know. Oceanographers don't know how deep some parts of the earth. The deepest trench we've been able to measure is off the coast of Japan. It's called the Mariana Trench. It's just over 36,000 feet deep. Now, to give you some kind of perspective, Mount Charleston over here is just over 11,000 feet deep. So the deepest part of the ocean is more than three times the depth of the height of Mount Charleston. The tallest mountain peak in the world is Mount Everest at just over 29,000 feet tall, meaning the depths of the ocean are deeper than the highest mountain peak on planet Earth. The Mariana Trench is not only 36,000 feet deep, it is five times wider than it is deep. Meaning, the Mariana Trench at the bottom of the ocean is 120 times the size of the Grand Canyon. (laughs) And God said, here's where I've put your sin. Here's how forgiven you are. Bring it up again? Are you kidding me? It is buried in the depths of the sea. Here's what that means. It's ocean gone. Never to surface again. Here's what that means. There is no forgiveness like God's forgiveness. And it's only possible because Jesus died, was buried And he rose again. Because of Jesus, we can be forgiven by God. But here's the second thing. Because of Jesus, we can be accepted by God. Look back at verse 39. Paul says, and by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything (laughs) from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. The word translated freed here is really a word that is a judicial term. It's a word that often in the New Testament is translated with the word justified. It means to be declared not guilty. And what's important about this word freed is that it's in the present 
Passive tense. You say, why is that important? In the Greek language, it's significant. Here's why. Because it's describing something that is continuous. And it's describing something not that I do, but that somebody else does for me. The Bible here says, because of Jesus, you and I are continuously being accepted by God. There are a lot of people who say, man, I hear what you're saying about being forgiven, but you don't understand. I'm not ready to give my life to God. I'm not ready to come to God because I don't think I'm ready to live up to his expectations. Well, guess what? You're right. You can't. Neither can I. But go back, look at this verse and say this, by By him, I'm continuously being accepted by the Father. This little word by in the Greek language is the Greek word ain. It's often translated in the New Testament as the word in. You see, when you and I come to know Jesus, when you believe in Jesus, there's a supernatural transaction that takes place. I receive him into my life. He comes to live inside of me, but supernaturally and spiritually, I am now placed inside of him. There is a union between my life and his life. And from now on, the Father sees me not as somebody who's a sinner, not as somebody who's trying the best he can, not as somebody who fails him every day, not as somebody who doesn't live up to his expectations, but he sees me in him. Why does that matter? Here's why it matters. Listen, if I was standing here before you right now in a black plastic bag, when you looked at me, what would you see? It's not a trick question. I'm in a black plastic bag. When you look, what do you see? A black plastic bag. When you come to Jesus... Because of what he did on the cross, you are placed in him. Here's what that means. When the Father, when God the Father looks at you, here's what he sees. Jesus. Jesus. And you are continuously accepted by God because of Jesus. Here's what that means. Let me give you a definition of acceptance. Here's what acceptance means. The freedom of a performance-based relationship with God. Forgiveness, he removes all the guilt and shame of my sin, past, present, and future. But acceptance means I'm now free from a performance-based relationship with God. God's relationship to you and me now because of Jesus is not rooted in our performance. God's relationship to us is rooted in our position. And here's our position. We are in Christ. And he'll never see us as anything but in Christ. Lee Strobel, excuse me, I mean Lance Witt, wrote a book called Replenish. In that book, listen to what he said. I think this illustration really nails it. He said there's a huge difference between being a son or daughter and being an employee. A company has a transactional relationship with an employee. You produce, you're in. You don't produce, you're out. Your compensation is connected to your contribution. But it's different being a son or daughter. Your family. Your place is not dependent on your performance. Your place, as a son, my value is intrinsic, not transactional. 
Did you hear that? What happens when you come to Jesus is you get adopted into the family of God. You become a son or a daughter clothed in the very righteousness of Christ. It's no longer a performance-based relationship. And that's all because of what Jesus did on the cross. Because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, you can be forgiven of your sin and you can be accepted by God forever. Now listen. Everything that I've just said to you out of these verses is 100% true because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But it's not true for everybody. Say, what do you mean? There's a key phrase in verse 39, and here it is. Everyone who believes. You see, there has to be a defining moment. A moment in your life that is so powerful. An experience where you personally meet this God, the man, Jesus, by faith. To believe in Jesus means to surrender the control of your life to him. It means to put your faith and trust in Jesus. Yes, it's true because of Jesus we can be forgiven. Yes, it's true because of Jesus we can be accepted. But you and I must believe in Jesus. It happened for me when I was a freshman in college. September of 1989, I had a defining moment in my life. When I personally understood that I'd sinned against God and that I could be forgiven and accepted by God through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I surrendered the control of my life to Jesus, and my life was changed. But I don't want you to just hear my story. I want you to hear the defining moment in a young lady's life whose name is Christina. Watch this video. This wasn't the life I had planned. I've been to the dry desert and back again, hopeless with no clear direction, Addiction and brokenness were heavy chains that bound me to this world. I was spiritually dead and using drugs and alcohol, human trafficking, incarceration, my brother passing, homelessness, losing custody of my daughter, and even having suicidal thoughts. This was my life. In 2017, everyone I knew had given up on me. Stranded in the middle of the desert, lost in addiction, I prayed to a God I didn't know yet. I hit rock bottom, again. I was lost and broken. Fear, shame, and guilt flooded my mind with thoughts of suicide. I prayed my way to my aunt's home, and this is where I met Jesus for the first time. I had so many questions, I didn't even know how to ask them all. One day, I was on my knees quiet before the Lord, and I heard a voice say, sit on the couch and read my word out loud. I heard it again sit on the couch and read my word out loud. So I opened up the Bible and the words were bright red. As I began to read what I now know as the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, my eyes began to well up. I continued to read promise after promise with tears streaming down my face. I knew the words in red were significant, but I didn't fully understand what I was reading and who was speaking to me. 
Just a few days had passed and I found myself alone and afraid from lies that were filling my mind. I was carrying so much weight I wanted to give up. At my lowest point, weeping on a cold kitchen floor, I remembered the promise that had been read. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I cried out to Jesus and begged him to be real. I put my hands up in complete surrender and said, Jesus, I need you. With my face on the floor before the Lord, begging for his mercy and forgiveness, his cross was revealed to me. This is why he died, so that I could live and be free, that I could be forgiven. The love that I was searching for in all the wrong places led me to him, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The heavy weight that I was carrying had been lifted. I could see a new path. The scales had fallen from my eyes, and it was this very moment that I became a Jesus follower. As I began walking with Jesus, he led me to Hope Church and surrounded me with a kingdom, his family. I attended Discovering Hope and knew that Hope would be my home church. Two years later, I now co-lead a small group and I love serving my church. To this day, I continue to pursue God and his word with my new family. I choose to remain poor in spirit. I realize I need Jesus and I do not forget the way he led me out of the dry desert. I'm not only forgiven, but God has shown me I am also accepted as his daughter. My name is Christina, and this is how I found hope. Today could be your defining moment. Aren't you tired of carrying around the guilt? Aren't you ready to be forgiven and to be accepted by God? Just like I did in an apartment in Florence, Alabama in 1989 and just like Christina did on the floor of her kitchen. Right now you can invite Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life. And here's what I'm telling you. It'll be the defining moment of your life that will radically change your life. I want us to bow our heads all over the building. We're going to pray together. If you're a Christian, I want you to just begin to pray for people that don't know God right now. And I want you to pray and thank God that you've been forgiven and that you are accepted by Him. But if you're here today or you're watching online and you don't have a relationship with Jesus... Here's what I want you to know. Because of Jesus, you can be forgiven. And because of Jesus, you can be accepted. And if you're ready for the first time in your life to experience that, I want to invite you to believe on Jesus. Right where you're sitting with your head bowed, I want you to just cry out to him in faith. You say, what do I say? I'm going to lead you. It's not the words of this prayer that bring salvation. It's faith in Jesus that saves but if you're ready to trust him right now, just pray with me there in your seat. Just say, Lord Jesus, I know that I've sinned against you. But I know that you love me. I know that you died for me. I know that you rose again for me. 
And right now, Jesus, I believe in you. I surrender my life to you. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me. Thank you, Jesus, for accepting me. Now, with nobody in the room right now but me looking around, if you're here today and you prayed with me for the very first time to surrender your life to Jesus, nobody's looking around right now with me. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray for you, and I want to know where you are. If you prayed with me to receive Jesus today, to be forgiven and accepted by God for the very first time with nobody looking but me, just slip your hand up and just hold it up for just a minute. Just slip your hand up. God bless you. Somebody else. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you two guys here. Thank you. God bless you, young man. God bless you, ma'am. Somebody else. Today, for the very first time, you've trusted in Jesus. God bless you, young man. Hey, listen. If you just prayed to receive Jesus, listen, I want to be the first person to say to you, welcome to the family of God. Listen, I'm about to pray for you. I told you I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you. And after I pray, Pastor Scott's going to come and he's going to talk to you for just a minute because we want to walk with you on this journey. But listen, I want you to know something. You never have to earn God's acceptance. Right now, because of Jesus, all of your sin, past, present, and future, has been forgiven in Christ. It's been buried in the depths of the ocean. It's been removed from you as far as the east is from the west. And get this, you don't have to perform for God. He accepts you in Christ. And now get this, He's going to begin a work of changing you from the inside out. Let me pray for you. Father... Thank you for these today that have trusted Christ. God, thank you for the miracle of the gospel. Thank you for salvation. God, I pray today, Lord, that right now in this moment, you would flood their soul with the assurance of knowing that they know Jesus. God, I pray you'd give them the boldness to reach out and let us know so that we can walk with them on this new journey. God, thank you for the miracle of Easter. Thank you for this defining moment. We entrust it to you. We praise your name, Jesus. Thank you that you did not stay dead. Thank you that you're alive today. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. If today, while you are watching this online service, today was a defining moment for you, we want to connect with you. Wherever you are, whether you're in Las Vegas, you're somewhere in the United States, or maybe you're around the world somewhere, if today was a defining moment and you began a relationship with Jesus, we would love to walk with you. Pastor Vance shared his defining moment of when he met Jesus. For me, I met Jesus at a summer camp just before my senior year of high school. And on the way back from that camp, I met a group of people that would be significant in my life as I began to follow Jesus and walk out my new faith. That is what we would like for you. The way you let us know that you have began a relationship with Jesus is by filling out what we're calling our digital connection card. There's a couple ways you can find the digital connection card. The best way is on our Hope Church LV mobile app. If you don't have our app, I encourage you to go ahead and download that. You will find our digital connection card right on the front page. You can also visit our website, hopechurchlv.com. But again, you were never meant 
to live the Christian life alone. So if today you began a relationship with Jesus, you prayed with Pastor Vance and understood the gospel that you are forgiven and accepted by God, we wanna walk with you. So wherever you are in the world, please let us know by filling out that digital connection card. Also, when you fill that out, we're going to get in touch with you and we actually want to send you some resources to help you in this new relationship with Jesus. So as soon as you fill out that digital connection card on our app or on our website, we're going to contact you and we're going to get you some resources to help you walk out your new faith in Jesus. We are very, very excited for you and can't wait to see what God does in your life. Just before we end our service, I do want to give a big announcement. For the last year, we have been reserving spots to join our services live at our Hope Church campus. Well, next weekend, April 8th and 11th, at our 6.30 uh, Thursday service and our 8.30 and 10.30 Sunday service, reservations are no longer needed. So text a friend, grab your family. You can just show up at 6.30 on Thursday or 8.30 and 10.30 on Sunday and come worship with us. No reservation needed. I hope you are doing well. I hope you're having a happy Easter and we will see you hopefully in the building next weekend.